As many of you know, I uh, went to Clemson University, and I got my degree in civil engineering. Now, one class I had to take dealt with foundations. And although I don't remember all the details, because for one thing, almost all of my classes were taught by professors that were not American. And so I don't remember much about those classes anyway. But this class was taught by someone from China, and it was all about foundations. And I don't know the details, but I do remember the basic axiom of the class. And that is, if you want to build a structure, then you need to have a foundation strong enough in order to support the type of structure you want to build. Of course, it was more elaborate than that, and we had a lot of homework and things like that. But that's the gist of the whole class. Make sure the foundation is secure. For example, if you want to build a structure on very sandy soil or unstable ground, what you have to do is you have to drive down these pilings deep into the earth until it hits something solid. And then once it hits something solid, then you have something to work with and you can build a great structure. And this is one reason why in the early 1900s you saw all these skyscrapers begin to go up in Manhattan is because in Manhattan, the bedrock, the solid ground is relatively easy to access as compared to the rest of the world. And so you saw these skyscrapers begin to rise. Of course, now with technology, uh, you can pretty much build these huge skyscrapers just about anywhere because you can drive it down, drive these pilings down deep and build a solid foundation. But the, the point is this. In order for a great structure to rise from the ground and, for, and fulfill the purpose it was meant to fulfill, it must be tied to a solid foundation. And last week we talked about the church. And we said, you know, for the church to be the church, for the church to accomplish what God has for it, it must be grounded on Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ must be the foundation in the life of every Christian and in every church, if the church is going to represent God well in the city and in the world. Now tonight, or this morning I guess, we will be looking at the second value of what it means to be the church. Once the church is established on the foundation of Christ, then we can look at the second value which is the church should be community oriented. And this leads us to this question. Once Christ is the foundation, then the question is, what should the community look like that is built upon Christ? Like once the foundation of Christ is laid in your life and in the life of the church, what type of community can rise from that type of foundation? And in order to answer that question, I want us to turn to the book of Romans. And the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the Romans... Uh, to let them know a few things. He wants to encourage them. He wants to educate them and instruct them in the faith. He also wants to let them know that I'll, I'm going to be coming soon to Rome in hopes to go to Spain because a burning desire in Paul's heart was to take the gospel to places where Christ had yet been preached. And so he wanted to take it to the limit. And so he was letting the Romans know, I'm coming I want to instruct you, encourage you in the faith, but I'm coming in hopes to be sent out to the world to take the gospel even further. And if you don't have a Bible, we do have a Bible in the pew in front of you. Feel free to use that. 
And we're going to be in Romans chapter 12 this morning, verses 9 through 13. In verse 1 of chapter 12, Paul explains to us that it's by the mercy of God that we are what we are. It is only by the grace and the mercy and the power of God that we can be called Christian. That we can have a relationship with God in the first place. That the church can even exist in the first place. It's by the mercy of God. And then from verses 3 through 8, Paul says, If you are a Christian, God has uniquely built you in such a way that you have a role to play in the body of Christ. And we need every Christian to exercise these talents and gifts and abilities if we want to represent Christ well in the city and in the world. And then he goes into verses 9 through 13. And what he's going to talk about here, and this is where we're going to focus this morning, is how the church, those who are in Christ, how we are to relate to one another. Once you have Christ as the foundation, how are we to build this community called the church? And so now hear God's word from Romans 12, 9 through 13. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. In this short passage, Paul is given the Christians in Rome He's given them a glimpse of what they are capable now to build now that their foundation is Christ. If you have Christ as your foundation, this is the type of community you can now build. First thing he says is, let love be genuine. And this word genuine can also be translated undisguised. Let let your love be undisguised. In other words, let it be real. It needs to show itself to the world and especially to those who are in Christ. If Christ is our foundation, then we are in a position to see the love of God make its way through our lives and that it actually affects the way we treat one another. And is this not what God Himself did? You know, earlier in the book of Romans, in chapter 5, Paul says this in chapter 5, verse 8. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, John says that God is love, but yet we know that love because He has made it known. It says in John 1 that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. In other words, we could see it, we could experience it, it was there, it was real. It was undisguised. And as we saw last week, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. All the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. There it is. It's right there. It's visible. It's genuine. It's real. And if that is your foundation, your love can be real. Your love can be genuine. You can have a love for one another that is beyond anything the world knows. And so how is your love for those who are in Christ? How is your love for your 
Brothers and sisters in Christ, is it real? Is it undisguised? As it is real and as it's coming out of your life, Paul continues and and he says, you should be hating what is evil and holding fast to what is good. One scholar puts it like this. He says, evil is to be taken for that malicious wickedness by which an injury is done to men. And good for that kindness by which is rendered to them. In other words, if you are in Christ, if Christ is your foundation, then you should be striving to build each other up. To encourage one another, to do good to one another, to seek the other's well-being. This is the community of the church. Hate what is evil. Don't do harm to one another. But do good, be kind to one another. It is, it is as if, uh, if you're a Christian, it's like you have one hand. And he says, with this one hand, you can only grasp one thing. And so, you must put down the evil and take up the good. Put down the evil, hold fast to the good. Now, in order to do that, you must taste and see that the Lord is good. You, you must know Christ, and in knowing Him, you begin to crave goodness. And therefore, you're able to let go of the evil and pick up the good. But it can't happen unless Christ is your foundation. And not only are we to put away the evil, let go of the evil that we're doing, but we're to despise it. You know, call it what it is. And then take up the good. Acquire a taste for the good and begin to practice it. And next Paul says, we are to love one another with brotherly affection. Now Paul uses two words here. One you are very familiar with. One you may not be as familiar with, but you're very familiar with the meaning. First of all, he says, you need to have this brotherly love towards one another. This is the word Philadelphia. You know, It's a word that we know. We have a city in our country named after it. It's the city of brotherly love. It's, it's that we are to love one another in the church. I'm talking about in the church here. We're to love each other as brothers and sisters. Even though you're not my blood brother or sister, we're to love each other as if you were. In other words, there is a deep bond here that draws us together and causes us to love one another because Christ is present. Christ is present in each of you and therefore I love you based on that primarily. And then he says you need to have this brotherly affection. And he uses this second word that you may not be as familiar with, but like I mentioned, you are very familiar with the meaning of it. The word is, or stands for this idea of a, of a parent's love to a child. Not just brother to brother, but this, this parent love to a child. And you may say, Ron, I'm not very surprised that Paul would use this type of language to describe what the church should be like. If we're all in Christ, we should love one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. Even as a parent loves a child, we should have this strong love for one another. But let me ask a question that I think will help get at what Paul's dealing with here and the significance of what he's saying. What is unique about the love a parent has for a child compared to the love someone has for a friend? You know, the love a parent has for a child 
is a love that is not based on their athletic ability or their intelligence or their emotional IQ or their performance or their race or ethnicity or their culture or their nationality or how much they make or you know, how well they can do certain jobs. It's not based on that. A love a parent has for the child is a love that says, you're, you're part of my family. I don't care how, how good you can shoot basketball or how well you perform in the classroom or how much money you make. It doesn't matter. I'm going to love you because you're part of the family. You don't have to perform for me. My love is automatic because you're part, you're part of my family. And yet with our friends, we tend to gravitate towards those who are most like us. And we have common hobbies or common interests. And so we tend to gravitate towards those people. But that's not the love that Paul's talking about here. He's talking about that parent-child love. And in short, you know, we can pick our friends, but you can't pick your family. And so Paul's saying, you cannot pick and choose who you will love in the church. Just like you couldn't choose who your child was going to be and how well they would do this or that, so you can't pick who's going to be in the church and who you're going to restrict to love and who you're going to love. That's not the way the church works if, founda- if Christ is your foundation. Now some of you may be very hesitant to love that way because of past experiences and past hurts and different things in your life. But I want to read you a quote from C.S. Lewis that I, help, that I hope will help us to see what happens if we decide to try to dam up the love of God within us and, and we try to keep it from flowing outward toward the people around us, especially within the church. This is what he says. There is no safe investment. To love it all is to be vulnerable Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the coffin and casket of your own selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The alternative to tragedy, or at least to the risk of tragedy, is damnation. The only place outside heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers and perturbations of love is hell. Lewis is saying, if you are in Christ, you must risk loving people, especially those within the church. You have to risk it. You cannot damn up the love of God within your soul. It must make its way out. And when it does, you will love one another with this brotherly affection. And Paul tells the church, we do not love by showing partiality, but we love whoever 
God brings into the church. And when we love one another that way, we will truly be a city on a hill. Because that is not how the world loves. And when we love one another that way, this next charge that Paul gives us will just flow naturally. He says, outdo one another in showing honor. You know, outside the church, outside the community of believers, uh, the world demands honor. The world demands recognition. And we demand our personal rights. But yet within the church, in this alternative community, we honor others. We recognize others. And we will even lay down our personal rights for the good of the community. That's the difference between the world and the church. Because we're on different foundations. I want to read two quotes by two different scholars that further describe this type of community. One says... To honor is to accord recognition and show appreciation. Presumably, presumably, this is based not on some personal attractiveness that is perceived or usefulness that is known, but rather on the fact that every Christian has Christ in his heart and is able to express Him through his own individuality. In other words, I honor you, I recognize you, I love you, I seek your best, not because of what you can give me, or what you can bring to the table, or you're attractive, or you're useful. The reason I seek your good, and I honor you, and recognize you, and lay down my rights for you, is because Christ is in you. That's it. See, outside the church, we tend to honor those, or recognize those, that give us some benefit in return. That's not how the church works, see? Because we have all the benefit we need in Christ. And so I don't have to try to strip away benefits from you to make me more of who I am. I have all I need in Christ. And therefore I'm free to show you honor, love, recognition, and build you up even though you're different than I am. Because Christ is in you. Christ is in me. And we believe that Christ is doing this work in us, making us more like Himself. And He's going to use us in that process. The second quote is, it is not easy to give each other priority and honor. It's not easy to honor one another above ourselves. He says, there is enough of the natural man in in most of us to like to get our own rights. But the Christian man has no rights. He has only duties. Now as you hear... As you hear this community being described, surely you recognize that the only way possible for a community, community like this to exist is that it must be built on the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. There's, there's no other foundation that can produce this type of relational community. You know, if, if you have not experienced the grace and mercy of God through Christ, then you will not and you cannot live this way. And if you don't want to live this way, or at least you don't have a desire to live this way, then you have to ask yourself, have I really tasted and seen that the Lord is good? Have I really experienced the grace 
the mercy and the love of Christ. Because if you had, then surely this is going to be a desire of your heart, is to, to live this way and to treat people this way in the church. Paul continues and he says, Do not be slothful in zeal, or never be lacking in zeal. Be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, or serve the time. The the idea here is that as Christians in the church, we need to make the most of our time. We cannot be lazy about what Paul is talking about here. William Barclay reminds us that the one man whom the risen Christ could not stand was the man who was neither hot nor cold. As Christians, we we must always be aflame for Christ. And when we are, this type of community will emerge. We must be active in, in drawing out this type of love, this type of community from Jesus Christ. You know, up in Winston-Salem, a place that we'd like to go was called Old Salem. You know, Old Salem was a town that was uh, built by the Moravians in the late 1700s. And George Washington actually visited Old Salem in the late 1700s. And in his diary, he wrote that he was just amazed by the ingenuity of the people. Because one of the things they had in this little town was running water. And even today, you can go into town and they have a lot of the the houses restored back to their original state. And you can see how the town was set up. And you also can go in the town square, this grassy area, and there's a pump in the corner. Now, the pump has been modernized a little bit, but it served the same purpose. And that if people in the town wanted water, they could go to the, the square. And there was a pump there that would pump water from a distant water source. And so every time we go, you know my kids, as well as every other kid in the, in the whole place, is surrounding the big water pump. Because they, you know what they want to do, is they want to pump some water. You know, this is something we don't see often. We just cut on the faucet now and the water comes out. But this is one of those old-fashioned pumps. You start pumping and hope water comes out. Well, here's what happens. The kids come up there, they get behind the pump, and they start pumping. At first, they're, they're very zealous, excited. They're pumping away. And then they get a little tired because you know how these things work. When you start pumping, water just doesn't come out like it does in the, in the faucet in our sink nowadays. But you've got to pump for a little while. And once you start pumping, they get a little tired. They start slowing down, but then something happens. Some water starts trickling out. And then they get excited. You know, and then the pumping starts up even more so. And then the water comes out more, the flow increases, and next thing you know, you know, water's everywhere. <laughs> like, kids, please don't get wet. You know, stay on the, the, the handle side of the pump. You don't need to be in the midst of all the water. Or when someone else is pumping, stay away from the faucet because, you know, they get excited. I think this is what Paul's getting at here is that Christ is our source. He's our foundation. We must not be lazy about living the Christian life. It doesn't just happen. But we must be zealous. We must be fervent in spirit. We must be pumping. And at first, when you're pumping in faith, believing that God's going to make you this type of person, He's going to make us this kind of church, you start pumping at first, you don't see the water. And you may grow a little tired. But Paul says, if you just keep pumping, you you know the source is there, you know the water's coming, keep pumping, 
And eventually that water is going to start with a trickle. And then it's going to burst forward. And then we will be the city on the hill. We've got to be zealous. We've got to be fervent in spirit. We cannot be lazy in our trust in the Lord and seeing what He wants to do in and through us. He gives us two more exhortations. He says, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. You cannot, you cannot be patient in tribulation unless you rejoice in hope. See, your hope has to be in something that is not moved by tribulation. And if your hope is in anything else, anything that can be moved by tribulation or taken away, then you cannot be patient because you become hopeless. You know, if our hope is in anything other than Jesus Christ, then when tribulation comes, we will not be patient. Or if our hope is in anything other than Jesus Christ and those waves of tribulation start slamming up against you, you will not run to Christ in prayer. We will run to whatever we are seeking our hope in for relief. That's what we're going to... When, when that tribulation comes, where do you go first? That's where your hope is. So Paul says rejoice in hope. And then you can be patient in tribulation and you can be constant in prayer. One scholar said, if our joy is derived from the hope of future life, then patience will grow up in adversities. For no kind of sorrow will be able to overwhelm this joy. So where is our hope this morning? Paul says our hope must be in Christ. And lastly... For the church to be the church, Paul says, we must contribute to the needs of the saints and to seek to show hospitality. See, how we view our resources and how we spend our resources among one another will truly be a visible sign of the, genuine, the genuineness of our love. Someone once said that a home can never be happy when it is selfish. Christianity is the religion of the open hand and the open heart and the open door. We must be open-handed with all that we have, especially towards one another. Again, I need to ask the question. How is it possible for you and for me to be generous and to be open-handed with all that we have? How is that possible? You know, how is it possible for us to hold fast to what is good? How is it possible to show brotherly affection to one another? To outdo one another in showing honor? To make the most of our time? To rejoice in hope? To be patient in tribulation? You know, to be constant in prayer? And to be open-handed with our resources for the good of the church? How is that possible? How is it possible for a community like that to exist? Well, let me ask you another question. How is it possible to build a skyscraper over a hundred stories tall? The answer is, it's all about the foundation. The only way this type of community, this type of church can exist is if you and I 
have Christ as our foundation. If He is where we are drawing our life from, then we will be community-oriented. Let me pray for us. God, thank You for Your grace and Your mercy. Because we know that we have done all that we could possibly do to not be reconciled to You. But because You are love and You demonstrated that love for us in Jesus Christ, You make it possible through Your grace, through Your mercy, for us to turn to You and to experience Your forgiveness and to experience new life in Christ and to experience a new way to relate to one another. Lord, it is, it is clear from Your Word, Lord, that the only way this can happen is if each of Your people continually, persistently draws their life from Jesus Christ. I pray this morning that You would be our source. I pray this evening and tomorrow and the rest of our lives that we would risk loving one another because we have a great Savior who's loved us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to give you a moment just to respond to what the Lord may be doing in your heart. If you want to join this community of faith and be a part of what we're doing here, and we're seeking to be Christ-centered, we're seeking to be community-oriented, if this is where you'd like to be, I'd love to meet you down front and talk to you about that. Or if you simply would like to have a word of prayer, I'll be more than happy to meet you there as we stand and as we sing this next hymn.